needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, the Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and murderous automated checkout machines. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a ghost in a candle who banged your nan. And I'm Mars Reed Lobato, a science fiction writer and a flying silver ball, which will impale you in the head and drain your blood. Each episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on the big list of best to worst. It's spooky season, and Star Trek is given how large, inhospitable, and incomprehensible space is. Today, we'll be looking at three such horrifying tales. But first, before we go on, Ars, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, um, for cross-promotional purposes, to quickly bang the old uh, pimp drum for a second, yeah. I will once again be um, guest appearing on the Breakfast in the Ruins podcast in the future post this episode being recorded, but should the episode should drop soon after this one. Um, I will be talking about the post-apocalyptic killer rat novel, Domain, by James Herbert, which is the third of a trilogy of James Herbert killer rat books. Um, James Herbert is a is a British horror writer who can best be described as F. Garth Marenghi were real. <laughs> and so, after buying the third book, I thought, you know what? I've read the rats. I'm gonna read Domain. I might as well get the second book, Lair, because who knows? That might be the Empire of the trilogy. That might be where. Yeah. Yeah, that might be the one where, like, we get some. We find out that a rat is the main character's father. Instead, um, where the first book is killer rats in London, the second book is um, killer rats in Epping Forest. It's it's fun. It's not as like weirdly nasty as um, the rats is, and there's like a wonderful series. Um, bits of uh, sequences involving a side character who is a PE teacher and a flasher. So just imagine who has a relationship with his mother, which can best be described as imagine Seymour Skinner. If you're an English PE teacher, but also a flasher as well. Yeah. So like, uh, like people would expect an English PE teacher, like most PE teachers. Yeah. 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 Um, Also, I am, uh, as of recording, I am two episodes off of finishing season one of Doctor Who, which ran from 1963 to 1964, uh, with William Hartnell as the first, the original, you might say, incarnation of the time-traveling character who wasn't a Time Lord yet. Nice. And I am having... I'm having so much fun. And because it's like the first time I've watched Doctor Who in a sequential order, I'm really kind of watching these characters come together and watching the show kind of build itself on the fly from very rough beginnings. And 
I, I think what I'm taking away from this is just how much, how great William Hartnell is when you get to actually watch the character progress and evolve in like a natural order and not just you're watching this story today because that's what you feel like watching. Yeah, Hartnell's very good fun. Like, when he kind of stops being kind of the villain protagonist and just kind of becomes like the crotchety, like this crotchety mad scientist, it's he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Yes, when the classic Doctor Who episodes end up on iPlayer, I might continue with my marathon, but um, yeah, while it'd be tempting to go all the way back the start i i feel no so, sometimes that's kind of a trap yeah yeah definitely i want to see things i've not seen before i've always felt tom baker would be a vibe that i'd get down with and i saw one episode while mildly high at friend for parents i think early tom baker will be your jam when it, it's very much it's very much a um hammer horror for kids Oh yeah, so that's, that'll definitely be your thing. Um, I think you'll like it when the show it when Doctor Who occasionally gets Lovecraftian, and not blatantly Lovecraftian, but dealing with like cosmic with uh legitimate cosmic horrors. Yeah, in that style of storytelling. Yeah, cool. Which then, of course, get retconned in all novels to actually be Lovecraftian deities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Autons, the nesting, the uh, nesting consciousness, I think is actually the in the books is the Lioiga. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because the nineties Doctor Who novels, they didn't know when to stop. So, Halloween and Star Trek and spooky things. Oh, oh, I see. Oh wait, no. <laughs> oh, oh wait. It's like that. So, is it? <laughs> so Charlie. Yep. I don't give a fuck about what you did this week. Let's go on to Star Trek. <laughs> oh, brutal. brutal. <laughs> At last, revenge for all those slights against Blake 7. <laughs> wow. Well, what I've been enjoying, <laughs> for the audience, not for you, Miles. Oh, fine. What I've been enjoying was last night, actually. I was originally going to find la, something. La, 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 Okay, all right. Carry okay. on. Okay. I was going to find something suitably horror-y, but um, last night, Emma and I went to the Duke of York's Picture House, <laughs> some lovely balcony seats to watch Talking Heads Stop Making Sense on the big screen, <laughs> and it's been re-released by A24. I, I think they've done some sprucing of it, but like it's a wonderful concert video anyway. And in the place there, like on the big screen, the sound all around you, it, it was a wonderful experience. It was, it's that kind of thing watching the the build of the concert as you start with just David Byrne, a guitar, and a tape player. And, you, you know, um, Ch- Charlie, Charlie. Yeah. If you went to see Eras, it's okay. I wouldn't hold it against you. Oh no, I'm I Eras is inevitably going to happen. But um no, this was I think the last day that it was that Stop Events okay. was on in Brighton. And I've I've been a fan since since I was a kid, pretty much. Like my dad had some 
random bits of his music collection left when we were growing up, and that included Tom Waits and Talking Heads as two of the big, big influences which kind of stuck with me there. We had Stop Making Sense on a VHS tape until it was gone over with The Simpsons. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. What, do you remember what episode of The Simpsons? I mean, this was a 480. It was a combi concert video of Tom Waits, Big Time, and Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. Oh. And it accidentally went over there by mistake. Oh, oh no. So, yeah. So, it was it was wonderful to see just the energy of the performance was a delight so yeah although it did get me wondering have david byrne and david lynch ever worked together because byrne feels like a very lynchian person do you know what what um uh, rock gig i had on vhs as a kid mm? paul mccartney rupert and the frog song yeah i prefer mine yeah i prefer yours as well fair enough well <laughs> <laughs> on that note away from the horrors of the frog song we have three spooky episodes of do, Star do, Trek. Do we, do we really have three spooky episodes? The first one of them I saw, I was like, I have regrets about uh, the level of spookiness involved. I've I've been scouring spooky Star Trek uh, listicles and creepy Star Trek lists and all of that. And I have questions for yeah. Star Trek list makers and fans i i just i just want to talk i think we have two and a half spooky episodes if i was being charitable yeah kind of uh so yeah if we really wanted spooky we could have read um that one that one shatner uh star trek novel where captain kirk tries to pull the she's not 16 she's she's a she's a romulan on us oh, far God. more than the book really should Wow, back to back to PE teacher territory. Pretty. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think modern Shatner kind of has that kind of um, grotty seventies, eighties PE teacher vibe. Ah, uh, well, moving swiftly onwards, our first episode of the night is Star Trek: The Original Series, Season One, Episode Five, titled "The Man Trap." It was written by George Clayton Johnson, directed by Mark Daniels, and aired on the 8th of September 1966. And the UK number one hit at that time was The Beatles with Eleanor Rigby, and the US had Donovan with Sunshine Superman, which I didn't recognise, but I could imagine like a murder happening while that was playing in that kind of way. Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby is fine now. Eleanor Eleanor Rigby is uh is one of the Beatles. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs. It's no it's no my guitar gently while my guitar gently weeps, which is my my oh, favorite Beatles classic. song. Yes, I'm pretentious and I'm going with a Harrison song. Ask my favorite Beatles. Of course. You can at me on Twitter since I very rarely post there anymore. Ha. Yeah, take that, Twitter people. Yeah, I was just remembering um, when I was writing down the tracks. Of course, um, Eleanor Rigby was also the name of Lucifer in The Wicked of the Divine. Oh, of course, yeah. It, it brought that right back. It's like, oh my God, I've not thought about that series in years now. Whenever I think of Eleanor Rigby, I always think of the film Yellow Submarine. 
mm. which might actually be the most terrifying film I've ever seen. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, it's, it's a great film, but, like, you know, you, you know the concept of, of the fear. When you get that stoned, everything is terrifying. Yeah. The yellow, for someone who are, I've never been high in my life, but Yellow Submarine, may, it kind of brings out those primordial fight or flight responses that I think the fear would invoke. Oh, it's got some moments, definitely. It's got, casual Trek, come for the Star Trek, um, stay for the two British guys discussing discussing a British stoning cult, the stoner culture. Yeah, well, while also not being stoners. Um, no. For voices of experience, much like with Star Trek. <laughs> um, isn't the Sunshine Superman like a character Grant Morrison kind of pulls it, puts into Animal Man? It really sounds like it should. Be. I think it is. It. I, I think he introduces briefly a character in like the weirder issues of Animal Man called Sun, Sun, Sunshine Superman. Cool. Well, with those tangents done, I have five minutes to explain to you what exactly is the Man Trap. I, I think it's Ben Shapiro's next novel. Uh, All right. Uh, okay. Okay. You have five minutes to uh, escape the man trap. Make it so. So, apparently the Enterprise does the occasional medical checkup on folks stuck on planets every now and then. The archaeologists, Professor Robert Crater and Nancy Crater, need their checkup in an old shaky temple set, which looks delightful. Kirk's on the away team and taking constantly taking the piss out of Bones because Nancy is his ex-girlfriend. Still... Bones is excited and kind of nervous despite all this. Nancy arrives and hasn't aged a day in, in Bones' eyes, literally. Kirk, on the other hand, sees her looking a little bit older. And Darnell, the blue shirt on duty here, sees a blonde. He lasts her on a pleasure planet. He won't shut up about her, so he gets sent outside for a breather. Maybe he's going, gone a bit too far this time. Professor Crater shows up and is fed up with checkups, but asks, you know, do they have any salt on them? He and Bones get into a shouting match until he relents and lets Bones take his medical exam. Uh, Kirk and Bones compare the view, uh, their view of Nancy, and Kirk assumes that Bones' memories may be getting in the way of things like the grey hairs that she has. And there's a scream! Oh no! They find Nancy by the body of Darnell, who's covered in weird circular pink splotches. Apparently, oh no, he yeah. wanked himself to death. Uh, apparently, he ate a Borgia plant and then died. And the medical exams, uh, they're over. We're done for the day. Kirk and Bones beam away with the body. But before that, Nancy asks, any update on that salt situation? Hmm. Up on the ship, Spock is busy correcting Ahura's work, and she tries some small talk, which goes incredibly badly. Spock gives an update to Kirk about the Borgia plant. Apparently, it's not consistent with Darnell's death. The tests of the body show he actually really shouldn't be dead at all. McCoy gets kind of wistful about Nancy during all this, until Kirk has a go at him. Speaking of which, a nearby Starbase also has a go at the Enterprise. Apparently there's an emergency for supplies, but no, they'll just have to wait for their chili peppers, damn it. There's a mystery at hand. Bones is found that Darnell's got no salt in his body. That's weird. 
That's what the professor and Nancy wanted. Huh. Odd that. Hmm. Yeah, they go uh-huh. Yeah. They go down to the planet and grill the prof on the whole salt thing, and he shows a, a mostly empty bottle of salt, saying, Look, see, almost out of salt. Not very mysterious. What will they put on their chips now, Kirk? The professor is being really cagey with this and runs off. Another pair of extras die now, with all splotches on them, and Nancy's there once again. She shapeshifts into one of them, green, and is beamed up to the ship with Kirk and Bones. Oh no, she's loose on the ship now. She sees Yeoman Rand eating in the hallways and fixates on the salt. Rand slaps her hand, assuming this is green still, and gets in a lift. Nancy follows. Rand heads to the Arboretum for a lunch date with Sulu, where she admires one of the plants and they discuss its gender, which is actually Sock Puppet. Nancy is uh, Nancy is green, shows up, and the Sock Puppet plant goes insane. She flees. Nancy shifts again after seeing Ahura, taking the form of a black crewman who speaks in Swahili to her and looms menacingly like he wants to extract all her salt before Ahura is called to the bridge and flees. McCoy can't sleep, and Kirk says, You recommended me some little red pills for sleeping problems. Why don't you take some? And Nancy appears at McCoy's door, and he's thrilled, unsuspecting of anything weird. She says no one else has had such strong memories of her, not even the professor. She reckons, yeah, do what Kirk says, take some of those sleeping pills. And once he does, she turns into McCoy. Rand and Sulu, during all this, find a saltless corpse. Oh, no. Kirk and Spock go to see the professor who's lingering suspiciously by some rocks with a gun. uh, Kirk asks after Nancy, and the casualties called in. Spock finds Green's body, and they realize, oh, no, whatever's doing this is on the ship. Nancy reaches the bridge as McCoy and is told, oh, no, look out, there's an evil version of Green running around, and keeps tabs on the whole situation. There's a fun paintball-style run around some fake rocks <laughs> until Kirk and Spock manage to stun the prof. He starts talking about buffalo and their extinction and how ne- the real Nancy's dead. She's been dead for a few years and re- was replaced by something that's the last of its kind. Oh. Salt. Oh. 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 Sorry. Sorry for laughing. It's just that <laughs> William Shatner has some great running like an idiot um, around some fake, some fake. Um, oh, you can the, tell the, this is early in the run. They are oh, just oh, yeah. having some fun in a real shonky set. Like um, <laughs> Rihanna and I were watching it yesterday and we had, uh, it's the bit where Kirk kind of, it, it looks like he's pretending he's on a motorcycle. Hmm. So we had to go back, we had to kind of go back, and we had to just sort of make funny motorcycle sounds as he's running along. I mean, originally I was thinking laser tag, but you wouldn't go on the floor in a laser tag place. Oh, no. Weird and sticky. Mm. Yeah. Man, yeah, I I have many fond memories of, um, of of Megazone and Laser Quest. Hell yeah. Right, well... Okay, right. let's let's finish this. Let's let's finish this before we lose all our salt and yeah. go. So up in the ship, no one can find the salt vampire. All the lead characters and the prof are in a meeting about what to do. 
and Nancy, now as fake bones, is stumbling over his words and decisions, and the prof is suspiciously siding with him, like a point in a game of werewolf where the two wolves have accidentally tipped their hand. Luckily, everyone else is an idiot and does not notice all of the suspiciousness here. Bones suggests, hey, why not not hunt it down? Just give it some salt. And the prof says it actually needs love as much as it needs salt, and he's not going to help track it down. Spock suggests, hey, let's truth serum the guy up, and follows prof and the bones to administer it. Cut abruptly to Spock having been attacked, his bleeding green, and Crater himself, the prof, has been killed by Nancy. Spock apparently doesn't have the right kind of salt in his system that Nancy needed. She's back at Bones' quarters. She wakes him up. She doesn't want to be killed. Kirk pops up, tries to get McCoy to help take her down, but he's really drowsy and confused by the whole situation. Kirk holds out some salt pills and Nancy can't resist them. Kirk and Bones get into a fight while she's going all in on the pills. Spock joins the tussle and gets slapped around by Nancy. And then we see the real Nancy, a kind of child of a Black Lagoon monster and a Wookiee. And it's got weird sucker fingers that cause those splotches. Bones ends up having to shoot. Later, after all this is done, on the bridge, Kirk looks out, thinking of the buffalo. And then they leave. One minute, 46 seconds. Wow. I I realized how much, how just how vast my notes were for this. A lot happened. A lot of a lot nonsense of... happened. So, Miles. Charlie. Have you ever let a shape-shifting salt vampire come between you and your friends? Not that I know of. No. It's like... I get that Prof didn't want to exile, didn't want to like murder the last salt vampire. But also, if his wife died a couple of years ago and this thing was shapeshifting into his wife and trying to absorb salt from everywhere, there's got to have been some really awkward conversations on the planet. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this might be like the second time. Um, well, actually, the first time in the show. Much like, oh god, what was the one we watched with the dildo rock? <laughs> oh god, yeah, the um, the robot one. Yeah, because I swear, like, you know, they, they, they try and imply that he might actually be stooping the salt vampire. Maybe? I don't know. Like, once it was revealed, what was up? I was like, oh, they probably were, they were probably much more awkward flatmates. Maybe, you know, the kind of, well, they, we don't even know if the salt vampire has genitals or anything, mm. you know, it's like, well, I have to live with the salt vampire, it's the last of its kind, and I'm kind of encroaching on its turf a bit, so I guess oh, I'm at it. Oh, I'll let it just be my, pretend to be my wife, that's that's not weird. I mean, it, it gets lonely. Yeah, but, it, but like you said, it needs love. Yeah, it's so. Does. Yeah, it's a weird one. Like, the professor was so suspicious from the off. Like, mm. He's a man who, in the in the call sheet, is like, is Professor Robert Crater. What a space name as well. Only character trait, shady fucker. Like, I did love when they beamed down onto the planet 
and saw him just hiding behind a rock. It's like, oh, hello. Hello. Friend. Hello. I'm just here amongst the rocks. <laughs> I'm like like a really goblin-y version of Dr. <laughs> Smith from Lost in Space. <laughs> I'm not suspicious. <laughs> but I will pull a gun on you as well. Yeah. In case, you, you know. Um, I... I loved the Arboretum as well. Uh, yeah, that was that was a really nice touch. I, I I definitely like in the earlier episodes that you do get a sense more of a sense of life on board ship, and it's not just mm. the Kirk, Spock, and McCoy show. Yeah, well, we've seen a bunch of episodes. We're like a, a fair percentage through the original series, and we've seen barely any Sulu action. Yeah, we're sixteen and a half percent through. And we've seen not much Sulu at all. So it was nice seeing that moment between Sulu and Rand that didn't involve any of the core three. And and no and no weird leering at Rand from Sulu, unlike the two random crewmen who are definitely quite obviously checking her out. It's the sixties. You and know, we can awfully still doesn't have HR. Yeah. Um one of them looked weirdly like Seth MacFarlane, I felt. <laughs> like, I've, I've only seen a season and a bit of Yorville, and I, I still remember him from his brief cameo in Gilmore Girls. But of course, but um, of, of course, of course. But yeah, one of them looked oddly Seth MacFarlane, like he'd trouble with tribbles back into this episode. So yeah, yeah, those guys were jerks. So, but so Charlie. Yeah, I have a question for you. Do you do you think there could have been another way they could have you know like dealt with the salt vampire, sort of um, killing it point blank without a qualm, and then feel really sad about the buffalo afterwards? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Starfleet ha- operates you know canteens metals whatever on its ships like the enterprise and there's going to be an amount of salt right mm. sure yeah. you could just like even lock it in bones's quarters and have everyone else not in there and go and just post in some salt and mm. go to a nice wildlife preserve type thing like we've seen in lower decks like discovery season three has you know like Space, uh, a, a menagerie, and stuff. Yeah, 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 a menagerie of sorts, almost like you know they've they've got previous with um things that keep aliens in menageries in weird perspex cages, like Alf. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or no, because just fucking shoot it. Just shoot it. Fine, just shoot fine. it. Let's shoot right. it. Smack it around a bit. Um. Okay. <laughs> um. Spock. Yeah, hyper hyperlogical science officer. What's his solution to the problem that McCoy won't fire? Is it shout? Could Nancy do this while while double hat while <laughs> double hand punch to the face repeatedly? That was amazing. I get that <laughs> logic isn't necessarily human logic. But yeah, just going. I'm gonna well on this woman that you think is your girl, your ex girlfriend, and <laughs> when it goes wrong, you I'll be proved right. Like th- this is this is quite clearly a, a moment where Spock's brain just goes, "I got nothing." Punch yeah. him. 
Fuck it, right. Fastest route. <laughs> it is something some of my role-playing group would have done back in the day of just like, right, this guy's a monster. If we attack him in the middle of court, in the middle of everyone else, and go, monsters, monsters, and hit him with a katana, everyone <laughs> will know we'll be vindicated. No, you'll be arrested. Okay, should I just shank him? <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing work. Good, uh, good spot. A plan, a, a plan with no drawbacks. Yes, exactly. I loved it. That the, was... the only way, like, it could have gone better was if Spock had grabbed Nancy and then tried to suplex her. Yes, yeah, do some wrestling moves. That'd... Like, oh, like I'd do, that. like, uh, do a do a wall kick. <laughs> do the thing you kick off the wall. Like, oh god, like this. This was. The very first episode of Star Trek aired. Not the first episode produced yeah. of the actual showrun. This this was the very first episode of Star Trek to the TV public. And man, like what a what a show. What a what a start. What a way to to begin this with them. Yeah. Like Incredible. Th- this is this is TV history right here. And it has Leonard Nimoy double hand, double hand punching a woman. Oh my word! So yeah, it's it's a good fun one. It's very yeah. silly. I I certainly wouldn't have put this as as the first one, but um, like, th- this, yeah. like this is this is just pulp sci-fi. Definitely, this, this is every nineteen fifties like sci like lower grade sci-fi cover. Like you, you got someone being menaced by a monster, like the man trap in Big Let. It's um, the the writer actually uh, was the co-writer of the first novel, um, Logan's Run. Oh, which was a trilogy of books, but it's a trilogy of books which are made into which is also a case of the film was better than the novel. Ha. Huh. Um. Yeah, with you know that the camptastic Michael York, everyone dies at thirty. Um, of course. Yeah. Um. In the book, I think everyone dies at twenty. Um, but also flaws there. Yeah. Also, it it the film the book is very much a nineteen sixties. Ugh, aren't the kids terrible? Ooh, look at the young people. Yeah. So They're yeah. So like. Roll. The, no, no, this is late 60s, so it's like hippies and drugs. Of course. So, yeah, it's one of those cases where the film is much, much better and more iconic. Um, much like The Man Trap, and it's, and it's a scrackly-haired um, mesh rabsy Nesbit vest wearing salt vampire. I So, I like most people, I've mostly experienced the salt vampire in the end credits of the original series. So I was not ready for the full view. Oh, you this. see, I didn't realize I, how hairy it was. It's like the creature from the Black Lagoon, but with a Carl Noonien sing wig. Mm, I had a bunch of Star Trek um, trading cards, um, and I had one of this episode. And the still they use for the trading card is the dead salt vampire on the floor. Wow. 
I mean, spoilers for the man trap, I guess. <laughs> spoilers. Um, the salt vampire, the the salt vampire who's just trying to survive, dies. These these guys would have vaporized Moopsie. Yes. Yeah. God. Definitely. The Moopsie did nothing wrong. There would have been a lot more casualties as people tried like double hand punching Moopsie. Oh yeah, like um, th- they would they would literally send the red shirt to try and just scoop the Moopsie up in a net. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, where do you think this goes in the big list? Yeah. So a big list is currently at seventy six entries. This is a list we're building of every Star Trek show and film, starting in first place with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And around the midpoint, we have perpetual middle point, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Data Law. And right down at the bottom, we've got a rare L from Strange New Worlds with Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. And yeah, the the planet where you plug in a boy and it does a, a murder, which I guess in a way Starfleet also takes the L on this one for going. We've just rendered a species extinct. We've we've just perpetuated genocide. Yeah, oops. I mean, they've probably done a bunch over the years, but it's always a rough time whenever that <laughs> we, happens. We we come in peace, shoot to kill. So oh fuck, not again. Oh, um, so. I was just thinking, you were mentioning what are little girls made of? Which is oh, that's in, the episode title. In 52. The episode with um, yeah, the the robots with uh, Nurse Chapel's ex. Apparently everyone's got an ex on a planet somewhere um, who's either presumed dead or shacked up with a salt vampire, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you Would you say this is better or worse than that? I so I'd put this as slightly more coherent, almost. You see, as, as story wise, I think what a little girl's made of is a much better story. Mm. But this is just you know, this one goes from zero to fifty from like minute two, when yeah. uh, Dar- where Darnell like sees the blonde, like the blonde woman, and immediately all but just starts ejaculating. Oh my right god! Right there and then, he is so inappropriate in the workplace. I I was disappointed um, because I I thought they were saying Darnell, so mm-hmm. I I was going to say, oh, this is the Star Trek: The Sense of, of John Darnell of the Mountain Goats, but no, he's Darnell. Oh, and yet again, we cannot link this back to the Mountain Goats. No, no. Um, so yeah, I think it's that thing of it's a far simpler story than what a little girl's made of. It doesn't have the fun set pieces like the dildo rock or the kind of like merry-go-round cloning robot device thing. But at the same time, it's got some, like that temple. I love mm. that temple. That's some prime 60s set design. We we didn't speak of like the scene between Uhura and Spock. Oh, yeah. Where you, where you have Uhura trying to get... Like, kind of casual track, get her flirt on. And then, um, Kirk, you know, like, they get a message that someone's dead. And Uhura berates Spock for not reacting. And Spock's, like, Spock's reaction is, you know, I can't do anything up here. I can't do anything up here. 
everyone down there is perfectly trained and capable. Yeah. Well, yeah. And her, like, she's basically trying some, some of that office small talk about, you know, our oh, case of the Mondays or, you know, oh, I, I'm just fed up of hearing all of this stuff. I'm, I'm fed up. Tell me I'm pretty. Basically that. And uh, Spock will not, like, Spock would rather, well, actually her about her own work. So, back to the list. Better or worse than than what our little girl's made of? Like, mm, I I would probably put this above, simply because, you know, I... Like, this is, this is fun, dumb sci-fi. Yeah. And, like, I, I think in terms of this is... I, th- this is kind of iconic, classic Star Trek. Like this is, this was the first episode of Star Trek, so I feel like it it deserves a ranking place for that. Mm. You know, it's it's good sci-fi. It's it's dumb sci-fi. Okay, so let's see. Above that, we've got uh, another Magical Barrett classic with Menagerie Troy. Or the game. The game again is kind of a classic TNG. I I think this might be better than the game. Ooh. Okay. So let's see. Up from there, we've got. Oh, let's see. We've got a little bit of lower decks in forty six with second mm. contact. Where I'm trying to remember now. There's a weird spidery thing. There's spidery thing and there's rage zombies. That's it for rage zombies. Like it's it's probably one of the weaker lower decks. Hmm. Definitely. So I would say that this is I would say that this is better. Now, above that is the marquee. I think the marquee is is better, even if it kind of fumbles its resolution. Yeah, yeah, I think. It's that thing of the iconicness of the marquee as a concept, how how big of a thing it is. Um, yeah, I'm good with that. So that puts it at the new number 46. So next we have a slightly more modern slice of horror. We have Enterprise Season 2, Episode 4, titled Dead Stop. This was written by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong, directed by Roxanne Dawson, yes, the director of the Lost episode, The Long Con. And it aired on the 9th of October 2002. The UK number one hit at the time was Will Young and Gareth Gates with The Long and Winding Road slash Suspicious Minds. And the US had Kelly Clarkson with A Moment Like This. Now... I was reading out what the choices were and, well, what the number ones were. And Emma didn't believe that there was a crossover track between Will Young and Gareth Gates. So we started playing it and, um, yeah, DNF. Like, we got partway through. We're like, yeah, no, no, I think that's yeah. as much as I needed to hear. They are, Robson and Jerome, they are not. Robson and Jerome, they are trying. They're, they're, they're no PJ and Duncan. Oh, we knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't great. Kelly Clarkson, I, I forgot to listen to that one, but I recommend watching the Todd in the Shadows video about from Justin to Kelly instead. 
Okay, yeah, these these songs were fine. Um, but before I start my recap, I just have to go get something. Back in a moment. I'm terrified. Oh, you pausing? Welcome, creeps and crawls. I'm the crypt keeper. Hello, crypt keeper. How are you today? Are you feeling very good? Uh, uh, <laughs> For uh, dinner, will you be having some goulash? This, this <laughs> is terrifying. <laughs> I... If, if, if I do not complete the recap in five minutes, will I be sent to the gulag? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay then. Okay. Good. Okay, all right, eagle-eyed. Okay, eagle-eared viewers. There is no crypt keeper. It's just hi. It's just me, Miles. Oh my god, Miles, wearing my my wife's um Renfair cloak, and um doing a a ghoulish voice to kind of um kind of put some horror into this um this this episode, which is um anything but. Yeah, I was wondering if I've I've I may be too deadened to to horror. And I think I've come out on the other side of no. It's no. mystical makers who are wrong. Yes, hang on a second. Um so uh be before before we get started, I sh I suppose I should take a a quick selfie of course. for our blue for our blue sky. <laughs> yes, of course you can find this terrifying image on casual track. <laughs> On uh, <laughs> on Blue Sky. All right. Probably on the on the Nerd and Tie Discord. So yeah, there's a Halloween treat for you. So you have five minutes. Go. In deepest space, the Enterprise is stuck, damaged from a previous adventure. At warp two, it'll take them ten years to get back to Jupiter Station. So they put out a distress call, which leads them to a repair station. <laughs> Terrifying. The repair station is fully automated and and will change its shape to allow the saucer section to dock. They go on board and they find the self-service computer that runs the station and it will, it will do the repairs in three days in exchange for some warp coolant. Warp plasma, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I am a card. And so they agree. And a, a nice little recreational area opens up on the station so the crew can um can go there while parts of the ship are being repaired. Trip and Archer try and find out who is behind the station because Archer clearly believes, much like Robert Heinlein, that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Trip and Merryweather, no, not Merryweather, Trip and Malcolm go into the ducting and crawl around like Sigourney Weaver and aliens to try and find where the computer might be stored. But they get teleported onto the bridge of the Enterprise. 
Then Travis Mayweather gets a call from Archer telling him to go to the shuttle pod bay. And Travis goes down, and the next thing we see is Travis's dead body. It seems like even in Star Trek episodes, the black character dies first. <laughs> oh, God, I hate my life. Anyway, Charlie, how much time remaining? Uh, two minutes, 45. Right, shit, back into character. So they take the body of of Travis to a sick bay, and Flux works out. Oh wait, this isn't a corpse. It's actually a, it's actually a replicator of of a corpse because um I forgot to keep the crypt keeper forgot to mention that this station has replicated technologies. But of course, that hasn't been just built yet in Star Trek. So this is advanced shit. Um, so. Archer's like, right, enough is enough. So they sneak on board the sta- they sneak on board the station one more time while the, while the trip goes to the warp plasma and immediately does his best Karen impersonation, demanding to speak to the manager. Archer and Paul break into the hidden section to find, oh no! This is the computer has been taking people from each of the ships it repairs and using their brains to impart enhance its computing powers. And Travis will be next. But actually, they rigged the warp plasma to explode. And so, using that as a diversion, they rescue Travis and everyone gets on the Enterprise and freeze themselves before the explosion. And they bugger off. But as we see, the station is repairing itself. And so, who else next time will come to a dead stop, kiddies? (laughs) 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 It's been a long long road getting from there to here. Cryptkeeper, out! Thank you, Cryptkeeper. You're ghoulishly welcome! That was one minute and two seconds under. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> so, uh, Charlie. Oh, Bose, you're back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. The, the, the Crypt Keeper locked me up in, like, the Jeffrey's troops. Um, so, have you ever wanted to speak to the manager so hard something exploded? So, I've worked retail. I've worked in call centers. I will, I'm a socially awkward guy who will do anything possible to not ever have to speak to a manager. It's always awkward whenever anything like that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've called for assistance when an automated, like, counter at a Sainsbury's has been going wrong. But, yeah, I've I've never quite got as animated as Archer got here. He seemed very frustrated with the whole thing. Oh yeah, um, I I have never complained to a manager so hard something has exploded. People have complained to me so hard that you know their brain has exploded. Wow, is that because of you trying to do the whole scanners thing on them? Um, no, not not that I'll admit to in court. Of um. Usually, it was back when we had to wear the face mask. You know, back when we when the government cared about COVID. Oh yeah, and that was a really good way when I went to Starbucks to just kind of mouth, "Fuck you, you're an idiot." 
But no, I think the worst uh, time I've ever dealt with like a, a customer complaint who wanted to speak to the manager was they left their credit card at the store and they live and work out of state. Ooh. And they phoned me up asking me to mail them their credit card. To which my response was, uh, no. No, I'm not putting this in an envelope, going to the post office, and mailing it off to you. I'm not getting a member of staff to do the same thing. And if you don't realize why that would be a problem to begin with, I don't think you should have a credit card. Mm -hmm. God. What fun. Um, What larks. Yeah, so I remember getting all excited when I saw... a title of like dead stop and going horror is normally dark. Ooh, but this is bright light. And I was like, sunshine cube. Give me any of these. I remember when you told me about this episode, which was a haunted space repair station called dead stop. I volunteered to narrate this one. Fuck yeah. Even though I I think it's your turn to do enterprise. (laughs) Because I'm like, this is going to be dumb. Yep. This is going to be as dumb as bricks, and I'm here for it. And I, um, mm. yeah. If you if you don't if you if you don't understand, I am. I we may I may have invited the crypt keeper to take my spot for this one because this this um. Oh, this was kind of dull. It really like it was. takes it takes at least um. I think the first big dramatic beat, which is uh, Travis be dead, Mm. happens about 30 minutes in. And by then, if you pause, look how much time it's like, wow, this is going to be wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the spooky stuff's there. Mm. It almost feels like, and it runs on their brains, was a last second kind of like, shit, we've got to put the drama in. We've shut them off. We've done all this. It's like I, I know I've I've compared a number of things to uh role playing games of extremely varying quality, but it does feel like the GM meant to do a, a horror scenario. And while players were banging their head trying to get through like air vents that were keeping them out, they were quickly going, Fuck, 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 I didn't prepare anything. Um, who's not really been featured so far? And doesn't really do anything right now. Mayweather, brilliant. Kill him. Don't worry, he's not really dead. But, you know, make it look like he's dead. And that will, you know, that's not going to change anything else in the plot. While I quickly work out what the evil really is. Do you think Mayweather getting killed was like a little bit of kind of subtle horror kind of, no, no, that'd be too much credit. No, like, I think I, I think a more self-aware story would lean into it more. But it's just like it is. This is the trope of um, black guy dies first in a, in a U.S. horror film. I guess I think Mayweather was picked just because most of the rest of the crew had shit to do, mm. and he genuinely was like superfluous to the story. So, so. So why not just off him? Why not? Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll kill him. Yeah. So that, that worked. Um, yeah. It's interesting seeing a Roxanne Dawson uh, directed episode. Because, yeah, as well as directing Lost, uh, she also directed, I think, an episode of the OC. Oh. She also voiced the uh, the station, apparently. 
Yes. Oh, and he's also Belana Torres. In, Belana in Torres. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It's that thing of, okay, is there a distinctive thing, a distinctive mm-hmm. vibe? And I'm not sure yet. So hopefully when we see more of her work, we'll see. I mean, usually, like, usually, t- like, TV, like, most TV shows at this time, hmm. you know, there's very little in the way of, like, directorial flair. Like, True. like you know, when this isn't, this isn't Miami Vice with Michael Mann, where everything is meant to be really stylized and cool. This is, this is Star Trek. Um, if we film it, if we, we film it, we get out, we film it on time and get the episode in the can. That's good. Yeah, we'll just light a, a warehouse like it's a really bright, weird space station. Hell, Miles, I don't know about you and your the workplaces you've been at. Have you been in a break room as dull as that rec room that the Enterprise crew were given? Yes. Wow. I, I've had some very dentist waiting room looking places, but at least there's like windows and shit. There was the break room in the Hilton, uh, which was in the basement. Oh. And it was paint it was painted sunlight yellow and there was like there was a TV which occasionally worked only when the World Cup was on. Oh. And I think there used to be like a a slot machine. And right. then next door there was the smoking break room, which was a red colour and everything was just kind of nicotine stained. Like they they were subterranean caverns next to the laundry department. I mean that sounds more horrifying than what we've just watched. See, honestly, this looks like a the the, the, the white sets. This looked like eighties Doctor Who, and you know it. This looks. Like, I hate to say this mm. because it is negative about Blake Seven. I think I've seen this. In one or two episodes of Blake Seven, with like the white per with like the white perspex everywhere. Of course. So it's one of those ones where it's kind of difficult to to discuss much beyond what you covered in a four minute recap. Given, I really wanted this to be a good episode of Enterprise. Yeah, it just like you, you, you know what, like. If they had got had to get everyone into the rate into the wreck room while the ship gets repaired, and then the murder robots start, oh. then damn, there we go. Like we we could have got some cube two hypercube. Oh my action. god! Yes, I would love some cube like you two know hypercube give, action. Give us give us some like give us some drama. Like okay, I know we're Star Trek, but sometimes you need to have an episode. Where you're just gonna have like some dumb running around a stage, making pew pew noises. Hell, we've seen uh, non-horror episodes with some really fucked up shit. With yeah, some real like, oh no, space in Star Trek is about Warhammer terrifying. You know, um, it just plays in a very more innocent looking space, but is still terrifying. Yeah. And um, yeah, this. Again, I was I was hoping for so much more, and it really it let me down. Even compared to a lot of the Enterprise that we've seen so far, I've I've seen Roger Corman like teen beach movies, which are more horrifying than this. Like the 
terrifying thing we get is that the episode ends with, oh, but the station's not dead. It, it ends with the old horror cliche of the monster's not the mo- the monster's not dead. But like, you know, at no point does the Enterprise crew go back and fling a couple of uh, torpedoes at it. Now nah, let's just get the fuck out of here. I did appreciate um that this is carrying on from I guess from the previous episode. Yeah. And we we are seeing not only some continuity, but also we're at a point in Star Trek where we can't just replicate everything we need to repair the ship. Like yeah. that part I really liked. Because you don't see it in Star Trek, you know, like at best, I think you see it like a few times in like TOS, where it's like, right, we need some new dilithium crystals because Scotty got drunk and licked the power outlet again. Yeah, it's kind of like um, Stargate Universe. I found quite interesting for that. Yeah, it had episode after episode where it's like, oh fuck, the oxygen's running out. We need to figure out a solution. Oh, we need some food or water. Like seeing some some problems and some solutions to it and actually seeing repercussions in a time of limited resources is a cool idea and hopefully we will get some good ones of that <laughs> like th- this is the kind of stuff enterprise should be doing to to juxtapose it against the rest of star trek by going this is star trek when space travel is dangerous mm. not just to be out there but we're in a relatively untested ship in places we've never been with like minimal resources. Well, so in another world, this story, it could have been, here's a repair station. It's all automated, but the species is unlike us. So it is going to try and help, but its version of helping is going to fucking like cube some people go like, everyone get off the ship while we restore everything and a couple of people don't and suddenly it like, just, like it can't deal with the organics and fixes them in a terrifying way or i i i was gonna make i i was originally my recap i forgot i had a joke about they didn't read the small print in terms of conditions yeah like in the like they pre- like you know in their desperation to get stuff fixed they don't read the, the fine print which says oh by the way we're gonna we're gonna just turn one of your guys into a CPU for our over our extremely overclocked supercomputer. See now, the Federation might not have been down for that, but I'm sure there would be some species that'd be like, "Yeah, fuck it." Yeah, you know, some Romulans going along, going, "Fine, give them Ian." You know. Oh, Ian the Romulan. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, right, you're gonna repair our thing. Yeah, we'll sacrifice <laughs> a bunch of people. We're gonna yeah. stab them in the back anyway. We- we have an entire section of the crew we just keep for this kind of stuff. We're Romulans. Yeah, we're jerks. Tell you what, we'll mail order you like a dozen Remans. <laughs> hey, look, have Ian. Have Ian's mate other Ian. Yeah. Here, we, we have, um... We have James Blunt for some reason. Take him! Oh, God, Romulan James Blunt. Take, take Romulan Ed Sheeran. Oh, I do realise now with Ian, it should have been Romul Ian. Oh, God, Romul Ian. Oh, God. Okay, right. We're starting again. My favourite Romulan. <laughs> Romul Ian. Anyway, um, yeah, this this whole thing, 
This, I'm, like, <sighs> I'm looking at the list and I don't. I'm looking at I, the bottom and there, there's a number of Enterprise already there. I, I really feel bad about, like, every time, I, like, out of all the episodes we've watched of Enterprise, I think there's only two that we've gone, this was good, which was um, the Andorian incident and Carbon Creek. Yeah. And I really, like, I, I really wanted to come into this with Enterprise, a show I've not seen a huge amount of. Not wanting to kind of kick the, you know, like, kick the Enterprise puppy, because, like, it's, it's Scott Bakula and, and like, the rest. So I, I, I just want to be discovering, like, the stuff that makes Enterprise good. So, like, the worst thing about this episode is that in five, ten minutes of just riffing, we came up with a better story, with a much more enjoyable story. Yeah. And I think, like, I, I've said this before, the worst thing something can do is be boring. Definitely. And it's just like, yeah, you know, you, you could have gone in so many different ways. Even by the terms of post-9-11 standards of practice. And you're just... You, this this feels this feels like the rush job. It it does. It feels like some wasted potential. And that said, if there's one positive, trip's definitely been growing on me between this mm. and home, as far as character wise. After having been not that keen on him in Strange New World, which is currently in seventy one on the list, uh, it's like oh shit, you guys gave these people characters. Um, yeah, I, I know we've skipped ahead like a season, effectively, but um, that's quite quite good to see, and hopefully we'll see him in some good. All things. right, so is this better or worse than Strange New World? I mean, it's, I think it's possibly worse. Like the the story of Strange New Worlds exists. Mm. Strange New World exists, and that gives it a leg up. Is it great? Yeah. Not really. A no. lot of space racism. The pollen stuff is fine, but I think it's there's more there than this. I'm I'm gonna go back to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed with like when you get classic Who, um, there are just episodes which just feel like filler. Yeah, and the first twenty minutes, this feels like the first, like the first twenty five minutes of this episode. Feels like it could be the first 25 minutes of a William Hartnell Doctor Who, where mm. you just have, like, where the TARDIS is broken, and the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Susan are just dicking around a soundstage for 20 minutes. Yeah. Because, we've, because we have an episode with... Yeah. We have a seven-episode story. We have four episodes worth of plot, and um, William Hartnell is on holiday next week, so we have to kind of fill the doctor's part now yeah and yeah it just does feel like um unfortunate filler unfortunately filler shouldn't be taken up 30 minutes of the episode yes yeah i mean so as far as filler and such i do i do kind of miss longer seasons where there could be filler episodes and episodes where you just see a bit more of the characters yeah but in a in a case where we're making a, a big list of best to worst, it is going to put it on like not at the bottom, 
but certainly nearer the bottom. Like we're beyond the the kind of encounter at far point threshold here. Okay, <laughs> so Broken Bow. Oh. Which is the very first episode of Enterprise, which is 75 currently. Oh. Now there's there's more plot, but also more episode because of that. And mm. I, I think it wears out its welcome a little. Uh, All right. We do see shape-shifting Julie Cooper from VOC, which is good fun. But, uh, All right. Okay, so the other we have at number 73, the four, which was our one of our previous Halloween episodes. Yes, the evil which clown. Is evil clown. And he came back. He came back in lower decks. <laughs> Thank you. You uh, evidently some of our our listener base must be lower decks. Hopefully, if um the next season of of lower decks has a dead has a dead stop, I wanted to say dead space, a much more terrifying sci fi horror. That said, yeah, lower decks would be the perfect place to go. That that evil space station that rebuilt itself. Here it is. It it took its time, but now the Cerritos needs repairs, and it's right there. Yep. But yeah. All right. So is this? God, I think it's less fun than than the Thor. Yeah. I mean, I had a I had a lot of problems with the Thor, and one of which was, um, it just not feeling as like as terrifying as it could be. Yeah. This is that same problem. Like you can do brightly lit horror. Mm. I've watched classic Doctor Who. Yeah. At the same time, you can do really bad brightly lit horror. I've watched classic Doctor Who. <laughs> so yeah, like Cube Two HyperQ exists. Yes. A film of action, yeah. So, I I definitely think that this is at this is after the four. Yeah, I think it's still above the pilot for Picard, but yeah, I, yeah. I think this is this is the right place for it. So our new seventy seventy four, seventy four. And uh, okay, so all right, Charlie. Yes. What is our third episode of this? Spooky evening. Well, we have many, many frights for you. In the Delta Quadrant, yes. We're going all the way over there for Star Trek Voyager, Season 2, Episode 8, titled Persistence of Vision. This was written by Jerry Taylor, directed by James L. Conway. It aired on the 30th of October, 1995, a day before Halloween, just like this episode if you're listening to it when it releases uh, the uk number one hit was coolio with gangster's paradise a classic and the us had mariah carey with fantasy which at least has not traumatized me like last week's or um like the christmas one with miles i've realized mariah carey's traumatized us more than more than i thought yeah, that's what happens when you make one of the most overplayed Christmas songs. It's a weird one. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I've got five minutes to get to this, and I'm going to try not to keep do not to do too many bofa jokes. 
Okay. Um, the Crypt Keeper's not with you, is he? Um, and if he is, he's hiding under a desk. All right. He's probably, like, reading your X-Men comics. He's got a lot of Claremont coming up, so uh, good luck. Hmm, <laughs> that Chuck Austin. He's very terrifying. All right. Okay. And five minutes. Make it so. So, Janeway is having a bit of a stressful time on the Voyager. She's trying to do her normal work while Neelix is pestering her about the Bofa. Insert these nuts joke here of your choice. Knock yourselves out. Kim and you, Torres. You mean, have, you mean the boffins? Same difference. Kim and Torres have been trying to project the doctor outside of sickbay into engineering and he's come out all small like a borrower. Tuvox calling about stuff. It's all a bit much. And the doctor insists that she takes some time off. This means one thing. Holodeck time. Yeah, she's got a gothic novel program that she's going to. She's working for the, the haunted looking stern widower, Lord Burley, and his weird children, Beatrice and Henry. Beatrice thinks her mum's still alive. They have cucumber sandwiches before one of the kids breaks a cup. The cucumber sandwiches? Cucumber sandwiches. That might be the most British thing you've said on this podcast. Uh, thank you. Um, there's a bit of a panic with all of this, and the housekeeper sends the kids away. Lord Burley, however, stops Janeway. Why? He's attracted to her. And comes equipped with Jane Eyre style plot hooks. Never go to the fourth floor. I insist. Ooh. Just as things are escalating, Chakotay calls. They're in Bofa space. Neelix is on the bridge already, and apparently a load of ships vanished in this place. They might be hostile. Ooh. The Bofa call from a glowy room, annoyed at Voyager for being on their turf. They're going to send a ship to see if they meet their criteria. And Janeway is told to arrange for meeting over lunch because she's not been eating much either, and the crew are very concerned about her. In the canteen, Janeway freaks out when she's shown all of Neelix's weird food, but also cucumber sandwiches. Cucumber sandwiches. Yeah, and her drink is served in a cup just like the broken one. Ooh, Neelix has got the fine china out. When she leaves there in a bit of a hurry with all this, she spies the little girl, Beatrice, running around the corridors, being all sinister. And just for a moment, she confronts her and then is gone. Janeway decides, right, no, this isn't ghosts or anything. She calls on Kim and Torres to see if the experiment they're doing is messing with the holodeck. Apparently not. She goes into the program anyway to run some tests and deletes Lord Burley when confronted by him. Still, nothing. The doctor's like, okay, you need some actual time off now. Go to your quarters. She decides to treat herself to coffee ice cream, takes a bite, and hears some noises, some a voice, and some barking. The picture of her fiancé, Mark, and her dog, Molly, are talking. That's weird. She opens the door, and it's the sinister housekeeper from the gothic novel Hollow Program. She's got a knife. A fight ensues, and we immediately cut to sickbay. She's there. She never left there at all. This has all been in her mind. Kess, luckily, can see this, and she's not going... I mean, she is going a bit mad, but Kess at least backs up. This is genuinely something going on. Janeway takes it all relatively calmly and briefs Chakotay on what to do in her stead. Kess reckons she 
She thinks other people are also affected. Chakotay calls for both her, and they only want to speak to Janeway. Then they start asking about the weapon capabilities of Voyager. When Chakotay is unsure what to do, two boxes cuts the call pretty quickly in case he gets them into trouble. A couple of ships appear out of nowhere from the stock footage of CGI ships that Voyager has as a show and opens fire. Janeway feels for shaking sick beds like, I can't even be sick without having to do stuff. She runs to the bridge, calls for Botha, but now the Bofan there, he's looking like Mark. And to Paris, he looks like his dad. Kim sees his girlfriend Libby, but we don't see her, so I think he's making her up. We see everyone else's person, including she, she, Tuvok. Seeing... She's his girlfriend who lives in Space Canada. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tuvok, on the other hand, sees his wife and his loot and the planet Vulcan. But in real life, he's frozen like some kind of mannequin. Torres, down in engineering, says people have been going weird. She's going to try and block the field doing this. Chakotay joins her, suggests they flee to an escape pod. Sod all of this. She doesn't like that. And then he grabs her and professes his love. We cut and they're in bed together. She has to help the others, but he kisses her and she kisses back. Truly the, the real horror of this episode. Ah! Ah! Oh, no. Cucumber sandwiches. I don't know if I've ever said the phrase cucumber, cucumber sandwiches, sandwiches so much. Man, I really want some cucumber sandwiches right now. It's been oh, years. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with them, but like, it's like a lot of weird little British things. Once you don't have like immediate access, you mm. kind of miss them. Of that said, like, I would kill most people for a Greg steak bake. Wow. Okay. On that note. Cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. Go. So on the bridge, Paris's dad is literally there now in on the bridge and tells him off. In the real world, Paris is frozen just like so many other people now. It's like some kind of disused mannequin warehouse that's had a Star Trek themed time. Or like my dad's house if he dressed everyone in Star Trek uniforms. Anyway. Janeway gets the lift down and Chakotay's there. He never even made it to engineering. Mark is also there, being a hallucination and a bit of a dick. The Doctor and Kess seem to be all that's left now. He wants to do some kind of resonance burst from engineering. The problem is he can't be projected there and neither of them know how engineering works. Kess is going to have to do it, based mainly on his guesswork from afar. Kess sees a burnt on Paris realizes what's up and leaves him there she reaches engineering fumbles through what to do until neelix shows up he really lets go belittling her and she realizes this isn't neelix he's using big words her skin starts breaking apart and foaming and she projects this onto neelix and he shapeshifts in some weird purple wrinkle man like if if like testicle skin was a person uh, Kess activates the field and brings everyone back into the real world. Torres draws a phaser on the wrinkleman because no one can know what her hallucination was. Janeway asks why this guy, why this Bofin did it. And he goes, because I can, because he's a dick. Apparently, he's not even there. He vanishes. The ship vanishes. Everything vanishes, apart from, you know, Voyager and the usual stuff. Oh. That that feels insufficient as an explanation. 
Later on, Janeway's in the mess hall, and Torres goes up to her and asks, did Verbothen really read thoughts? Did he know things that people didn't? And Janeway goes, eh, maybe it did people a favour, forcing them to confront buried emotions, mainly thinking about her side and maybe letting Mark go emotionally. But it's not helping with Bellana and her whole thing with Chakotay in that dream. Sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs> Two minutes, 24 seconds. Okay, okay. So, is the most terrifying thing we've seen on Star Trek um, the idea that you might want to snog Chakotay? Yeah, yeah, I think that was... <laughs> that was a... <laughs> I admit, I've got the hindsight of knowing that Bellada Torres and Tom Paris get together in the long run. And I was like, what? No! No! Like, this is bizarre. Um, my, wow. my ship. Not even a ship, just like, what? Was this a thing? Like, I'm guessing, looking at the, looking at the notes about the episode itself, it was it was just for this episode. Like apparently they both had a great fun time filming the scene. Um and Robert Beltran loved the idea that the both of them revealed Torres's true feelings about him. While she did not think this was the case. Like Robert no. of course was like, No. No. This is no. Just, this is just weird wrinkle man like fucking with us. <sighs> wow. Are, are there any nice races called boffins in in in, in, in Western sci-fi? So, like, I mean, the main thing we know about boffins from Star Wars is that they die, right? Is that- um, th- like many boffins died to bring them to Death Star plans. Um, in one of, like the comedic Dark Horse comics, it turns out it's actually not many boffins; it's a guy called Manny Boffins. Oh, um. What japes? The, what japes? In the EU novels, uh, boffins are basically kind of obnoxious assholes, right? Who who use the fact that many boffins died to get the Death Star plans to basically guilt the Republic into um sweet political favors. Huh. Like there's a re- there's a recurring character um who's a boffin uh, like Senate member called Borsk Failure. Who's kind of a dick? He he he's like um yeah he's just kind of a douche because and anything Luke or anything Leia wants to do with the New Republic he's just like nope 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 don't like this oh one of those guys yeah right mm-hmm. what fun uh they don't act like a complete drag on any story nope no this on the other hand wasn't wasn't really a drag. It was nice no. and disorientating. I loved the hallucinated cup and like, oh, we get to play whoever makes the props got to do a lot of weird alien food before the cucumber sandwich. Cucumber sandwiches. Mm. So that was all that was all good fun. Like evil Neelix was good fun of like, oh no, oh this this hapless boob is acting really awful now. To- toxic Neelix. Yeah, to- oh, yeah, the nightmare vision of Toxic Neelix. Le- at least he wasn't naked in the bath again. Yeah, 
I did love the, um Tom Paris seeing his dad's like, yeah, no, this is making me Starfleet even more. <laughs> yep. uh, like, fuck this guy. Admittedly, <laughs> unfortunately, that was also the hallucination of like, mm. I'll stand up against you, dad. Um, yeah, it it was good fun. Man, um, oh, how bland is Tom Paris if his hallucination is his dad turning up to go now, son? You're quite a bit of a disappointment. I mean, the thing is, we know this. We know that Admiral Paris hates his son. Um, we get we get a few stories like involving that uh, with Tom, but, um, but yeah, there could have been more. And Harry Kim, bless him, with his girlfriend who is definitely real. <laughs> and that's like everyone just kind of goes, sure, Harry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, even he's not even frozen. He's just See, stood there going, everyone, <laughs> everyone even, even Tuvok is is playing along because even he doesn't want to just crush Harry Kim that badly. No, no, they can't deal with that. It'll be insufferable. So do you, a quick question on the subject of Harry Kim. Yeah. Do you get, are you in as many Star Trek meme groups as I am on Facebook, which are all making fun of Harry's just never never promoted never promoted i'm in a few and yeah i like harry but yeah in a way in a way him just never catching a break just endears him to me more um and yeah yeah there is there's a lot of memeing about poor harry poor harry poor so yeah it this was good though this felt a lot this was the last one i saw yeah after Dead Stop being a bit of a disappointment horror wise, and the Man Trap. Well, yeah, you could you could see it as something kind of the the, the, the Man classic. The Man the Man Trap is like a fifties B movie. Yeah, you could see almost the title in wibbly writing over the uh, over the opening sequence, almost like oh, it's the Man Trap. But yeah, this was nicely disorientating. Like I wouldn't have said. It's a horror, but fuck, yeah. Like, as Janeway going, I'm doing my best, but I am a, I'm very aware that I'm losing control. I, I did like how, unlike whenever we've seen the the doctor of the ship tell the captain he they need to take a break, and the captain's like, no, 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 the burdens of command. Janeway gets told, you should take a break. You're clear, you, you're clearly hangry and need to take a weekend off. I like how Janeway's reaction is, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go have, uh, okay. Got a question for you, Charlie. Yes. If you're in a hot, I was watching this, another one, I was watching this while Rihanna was uh, in the room, and I basically turned to her and said, look, in the future of Star Trek, everyone is a LARPer. The main, the main, um, like, pastime of the Federation is LARPing. So, if you have, if you're in a holo novel, and you have holo nookie with the holo character, because you're playing a part in the holo novel, is that cheating? Oh, and that's a difficult question. Like, it's not even a robot at that point. It's just light. Like, it's like, um, Is it's it like if you're playing Ma- if you're playing Mass Effect, and you you purposely unlock, I don't know, Fen Femship of Garrus. Right. Are you cheating on your partner? I need to know because I've been sleeping on the sofa for a week now. Oh no! 
I mean, friendship <laughs> and Garrus is the right way to go, relationship-wise. Garrus is an angel. Um, but, yeah, like, hmm. Mm. There is because 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 Mark brings that up. Hollow Ghost Mark brings it up that she doesn't want to touch him, but she'll touch. Um, she'll bang for Jane Esmond. She'll 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 bang Budget Colin first. Yeah, Burley, Lord Burley, Lord Burley first. She's up there with Professor Crater as far as brilliant on the nose names, but um. Yeah, God. Like, apparently this is the last time that we see her gothic novel. Um, which is a shame. Because, yeah, this this is a fun setting. It's yeah. weird that she's kind of, like, staff at her house looking after a couple of precocious, slightly spooky kids as her time off from looking after a lot of very distressed kids in in the her day job, basically. Yeah, but like it's two like, kids. These ones and... I can send to their room. Yeah, these these ones I can go computer delete program. Yeah, which I when she did that to Lord Burley, I was like, oh, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I get that Jay Ways would get shit done, Captain. But so, like, oh, <laughs> okay, not even keeping pretense for a moment. But yeah, it was um, it was interesting to see. Um, God, that whole get shit done vibe. Um was interesting like not her completely no selling the hallucinations because that might get dull but um she's like right fine i'm dealing with this here's my agenda see i I think with that now i think janeway might be the only star trek captain to know she's in a star trek show yeah so she's vaguely aware that shit's just gonna get weird on a weekly basis yeah have some fun with a holodeck fuck it why not replicate some coffee ice cream? You know, treat yourself. That, that sounds how I like coffee, but like I don't know if coffee ice cream or if I would go that far. See, I, like, I love coffee. Coffee ice cream is quite nice. Okay, okay like I, I'll have like a coffee chocolate chip like cookie, mm. but I don't know. Coffee ice cream just sounds a bit. Ah, uh, see, I'm I'm too much of a sucker. Coffee cake, coffee sweets, those little chocolate covered coffee beans. Yeah, just all of that. All that in your belly. Damn straight. Um, that, yeah. that might explain why your hairs were falling out. Well, uh, yeah, the male pattern baldness has, has not been kind. <sighs> anyway, quickly distracting from that. Um, where do you reckon this goes on our list? Because oh, we've got, t- got some voyagers all over the place. Like, yeah. not, they've never been the highest. I think our highest one is in the flesh. Which again, great fun. Yeah. Um. Ooh. Ah. I like. Yeah. Cause this was this was an entertaining mm. episode of it. Like the, I feel if I've only got if I've got any negatives, it's that the both and going. Lols. You know, I pranked you. Oh, you're getting mad. Ah, I'm I'm out of here. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is very he, little motivation. Or he, the, the Boffins, like the Boffins, like um, reasons for doing it is um, he's basically doing the Twitter ha triggered libs and uh, and and jumps out through the window. Yeah, basically that. Um, that's I think the only disappointment of it. 
Like, I let's have a look. And that's the thing, like seeing it in the flesh, which again was one that I just, I just solidly enjoyed. Um, although it was a Chakotay episode, which might drag it down a little. Yeah. Uh, so uh, okay, one horrifying bit with Chakotay and Balana, but. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just looking over the um the list. Yep. And my eyes fell on the on the notes for Spacey that I forgot that the notes simply say, Oh dear, more blackface. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's gonna keep happening. Um yeah. I and mean, that's the thing. I'm looking at in the flesh a couple of spaces up we've got a mock time and it's like I enjoyed this. There's no way it's beating a mock time. No. Like, that feels like a, a hard ceiling. On on where it would go, um, yeah. I don't know. Like we've got we've got crossover with Odo fucking exploding down a little further at twenty two. Um. Okay. Do you think this is better or worse than Tuvix? Oh shit. Oh, see, Tuvix is legendary just for the Tuvix of it. All. Mm. I think this is a better story. I this is a better story. Fun. Like, you know, then you got meld right underneath with mm. um, sweaty, moist Brad Dourif. Oh, good and it's old like Brad, Dourif. Brad, good old Brad Dourif. Like, those are both really good stories. Um, ooh, yeah. It's it's weird going. It's difficult when you get a good one. Yeah. <laughs> We like it. We like the good ones, but we like the good ones. Yeah. Um, like, all right, is this better or worse than Dratel? Than Dratel? <laughs> um, I think it's better than Dratel and more pronounceable. Yeah, even though it finally actually gives Neelix some acting to do. I mean, we got some acting from Neelix. Here. Oh, we did. We, we did. did. He was a right jerk, but that was. Beautiful in it, it, how jarring yeah, it was. Like it's, it's really clear how much Ethan Phillips just kind of relishes those moments where he gets to not play cute. Yeah, how much he can do, you know, that's great. So yeah, I think, I think better than Jatrell. Genesis, like Genesis, is another one from our, our previous horror outings. I, I think Genesis is better. Yeah. Because it goes from like it get like this one, it goes from zero to disorientating really quickly. Mm. But I think the 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 switch is just right in the middle. Yeah, it's at fifty percent mark, and you get to see everyone getting fucked up with yeah. this. With this, you see some jarring moments with Chakotay with Neelix. Um, it doesn't go hard enough. I feel almost with that. No. Um, which, you know, is fine. It's still a good one. Alright, I would let's Alright, uh the stars okay. The least dangerous game. Uh I think it might be a little better than least mm. dangerous game. Alright, so the question is, is this better or worse than Data Law, which currently sits at number thirty eight? Yeah, yeah, our our most middling episode. Mm. I think this is more fun than Data Law, but Data Law introduces a big element to the show. Yeah. All right. So, would you say this comes in at number thirty-nine? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's 
Let's see. Does that mean data law is still the most middling <laughs> episode <laughs> of it all? Quite um, possibly. Quite possibly. So, yeah, out of 79 now. No, it's going to be 80 once you move this. Oh, no, you're right. 70, yeah. yeah, 79. Yeah, we're on a road to 100. No, oh, man, that's... 39. So, actually, at 38, it's... Yeah, it's not yeah. quite the most middling anymore. It's joint that. Is that right? No. I can't do maths. Right, let's see. 79 yeah. divided by 2. 39.5. Yeah. So this is the midpoint. And <laughs> a sign that this is a fairly top-heavy list, given yeah. how much fun we had with this one. Um, that, yeah. That sounds kind of terrifying, because this means that um, at some point we are going to hit a drop-off point. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, but... that, that said, um, I, I think... When we reach the 100th episode on the list, Spock's brain. Okay. All fresh. All fresh. I think for like, I think for our hunt. Okay, hang on. Unpaused. So, we have agreed briefly on off screen that our one, when we reach the 100th episode of Star Trek Reviewed, we're going to devote an entire episode. Charlie is flipping me off right now. <laughs> an, an entire episode. To threshold. Yeah, yeah. We have been the dark backed. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, on that note, um, just to wrap up, you can find us on Kofi and on Blue Sky as Casual Trek. You can find me at skyshark.itch.io and at skyshark on Blue Sky. Uh, I've been trying to remember to post there daily about X-Men, especially as I'm just at the end of a Morrison run. And there's been some bonkers shit. And you can find me on milesreadlobato.bluesky.social and on my blog, which does get updated sometimes, honest, at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. Um, soon after this, you can, you'll be able to hear me on the, one of the Halloween episodes of Breakfast in the Ruins, which you can find all good podcast, um, providers. And apart from that, it's just to play us out. So, um, yeah, next time we're doing something special for November and we'll be watching all of the short tracks and then ranking them on a short list of best to worst. So join us there. Live long, have a jelly baby, and always read the terms and conditions of any software update. Yeah, yeah. And uh, have a cucumber sandwich. While also doing a Starfleet. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. 
there's a link in the show notes.